Hey, you are listening to The Workplace Theater. This is the podcast where we go behind the scenes of corporate real estate, talking to industry experts about how they shape the next generation workplace. I'm your host, Sabine M. And in today's episode, I'm speaking with Jenna Geigerman. Jenna is Director of Real Estate and Strategy at Citrix. Hi, everyone. Today, speaking to Jenna Geigerman. I saw her presenting at a roundtable about the return to work journey she has helped shape. And yeah, she just told me as well that she'll have answers actually to questions that other companies are still in the midst of solving. So hi, Jenna. I'm very happy to have you here. Thank you. Let's start with your current role at Citrix and maybe a bit of what's your professional background? How did you end up in that position? Okay. Um, Let's see. My current role, um, I am Director of Real Estate and Strategy. I'm responsible for our large sites in the Americas as a real estate manager for those sites. But then globally, I have been um, on the team leading the return to office process, as well as I am leading a team that's developing an in-house app in order to consume the workplace. So a lot of people are going for mobile apps. Ours is built onto our workspace platform. It's a Citrix product. And that enables people to consume our plans and to book desks and to do their COVID health affidavit before they return to our office, both on a desktop and on a mobile platform, filling our like work anywhere, any place on any device kind of philosophy of the company. This is my first job in corporate real estate. Like many people, I never knew that that was a thing. Um, my whole career, however, has been in commercial real estate. I have an undergraduate degree in architecture. I did affordable housing development worked for a real estate investment trust, did real estate consulting. I joke that I have done every job in commercial real estate except for being an attorney, although I've certainly played one on TV and written my fair share of contracts. (laughs) So I'm the Jill of all trades, master of none to feminize jack of all trades. Yes. So that is sort of my journey. And um, this was just an opportunity. Someone connected me when Citrix was looking to build out a new office in Raleigh. I was hired to do that. And the rest is history. Sounds like it. That's really fascinating how you've been in all aspects of commercial real estate and didn't really know that there was corporate real estate as well. Uh, No, isn't that funny? Yes. (laughs) Now I know it's a thing. I also used to think Citrix was a very large company, but at 10,000 employees, we're actually a very small company in the large company space. So you learn all sorts of new lessons through life. True. How big is the Citrix um, real estate portfolio then with the 10,000 employees? We have about 75 sites and about 2 million square feet. That's still a sizable portfolio, I'd say. It is a sizable portfolio. Yes. But once again, when you look at really large macro global companies, it's you know on the smaller end of that. Small enough to make a difference and to have a lot of influence. Not large enough to have our own dedicated global real estate team as a function within, you know, sometimes like Fidelity, they may have a separate company that has that, but. So in the in-between size, it's lovely. Yeah. So the corporate real estate team, you said you don't have really one dedicated. Or- well, we like a division, you know, some, some yeah. have like reporting to the C-suite yeah. or reporting as a separate company. You know, some companies are large enough that their real estate function has spun into its own entity. That's when you're in the big leagues. 
You are reporting that into the business directly. Well, we report up, yes, through uh, the finance group and up to the CFO. Okay. And then what's also always interesting to me is um, what business mission goals are driving the real estate strategy? So we try to begin with an employee focus. Um, and to do that, you know, we partner a lot with HR and what their vision is for enabling employees, especially in return to office, right? That's never been more critical than it is now. We also spend a lot of time working with business leaders um, in our different geos to understand what the gaps are, how we can help them to deliver productivity and effective results and outcomes for their teams and how our team can support that. You know, we partner with IT as well. I would say the strategy comes more from the business and the real estate team and and HR, I might be a little biased, but certainly we're all collaborating to um, effectively deliver the office environment for um, people. And in fact, I created a workplace to design strategy council a couple of years ago, just to make sure we were all swimming in the same direction and that we were connecting on what our vision is for the built environment and how to make sure that, you know, if IT was looking at a new AV system, for example, that it was integrated in what real estate was doing, we were figuring out how we could support that. When the real estate team said a couple of years ago, we were going to purchase a real estate app, the innovation team and engineering teams, which are part of that strategy council said, hey, we could build it. That's how that partnership developed. So it's been very effective to make sure that what we're doing on the real estate team not only supports our employees, but in supports our corporate vision, our products, and actually our go-to-market actions for the marketing and sales team. So that's been a new opportunity, both through return to office leadership and the um, workplace app that we're developing. Now, you've said it, you are undergoing a big change in the workplace. You're working on the return to work strategy. Prior to the pandemic, how did the workplace look like at Citrix? So we had a mix of assigned seating and what we call work anywhere, which is sort of the flexible unassigned zone. So if you were a small regional sales office, for example, people weren't in the office every day. So that would have been unassigned seating, but just an ad hoc, you know, come in, get a seat when you needed it. And then our larger sites were either 100% assigned or um, at most 25% neighborhood unassigned areas. So heavy, heavy weight on the assigned for sure. And then what actually caught my attention was when you presented at that round table, how you went about to define the future of work, the different data sources and how you're intending to monitor things going forward. Could you share a bit of how you went about putting together that program and what it entails? Sure. I think a lot of us, when we're looking at um, how do we have the right portfolio strategy going forward, we are trying to figure out user behavior in a new way because you can't assume that user behavior from the past is what is going to be in the future. And especially a company like Citrix, where we have always, in theory, supported you know working remotely um, because our tools enable that. But in practice, there were some teams that were more chained to their desk, either from a technology or philosophical reason or managerial style. And we're moving, like many companies, to an employee-driven hybrid model post-pandemic where people have the option to choose where they do their best work, obviously in conjunction with their managers, and we're still working that piece of it out, thus the high collaboration with HR. But we still, we can survey them for how often do you expect to come to the office? 
what will you come to the office for? But as anybody who's ever surveyed people and then watched how they behave knows, those things are very different. And so we're trying to understand what is user behavior and how we can make sure we use that data to drive a future strategy. So the employee data is, you know, how often do you come to the office? How long do you stay in the office? Because hybrid doesn't just mean I decide to come to the office Monday and Wednesday, but I may come Monday for two hours. I may come Tuesday all day. I might come Wednesday for three hours, you know, for meetings. Some days it might be for meetings. Some days it might be for focus work. Some days it might be to to attend, uh, you know, a department meeting, right? So you have a lot of varieties of why people come into the office and where they move through the building will be much more fluid in a fully unassigned model, which is what we're moving to, fully unassigned with a booking component. So we can use that data, for example, to say, where are people planning to sit? How many of those people checked in and actually showed up? Look at that compared to badge data. Pulling in data sources from, you know, our room booking, which we had never done before to say how often are people booking rooms and what size rooms are they booking so that when we're looking at what's the right use of space in the Ford and the mix of like the me space and the we space, because, you know, a lot of us are are thinking we're going to need fewer individual desks, but more collaboration kind of space um, in our future floor plans. We can use some data to back that up. All of that would be so much nicer um, with sensors, right? So sensors give you a lot of that data without cobbling pieces of it from other sources. But that is a significant investment, and we've done some pilots on that. But right now, with our return to office focus, we are trying to look at how to just get people back in the office, give them tools to be able to book a desk, to be able to work effectively, resetting the technology at desks so that they can work anywhere very fluidly, remove friction in their experience. And that's where we're focusing our energy right now. And then seeing what data we can aggregate to measure that kind of behavior. And ultimately, when we're looking at what is a successful return to office and a successful long-term, now that people have the choice of whether they come, we have data, we surveyed them before, like last March, like theoretically at the end of the pandemic, when things return to normal, whatever normal looks like, how often do you expect to come into the office? We then are surveying our larger sites when they are actually about to return to the office. So now it's a real decision. How much are you going to return to the office? And that data has actually been amazingly consistent because I think people are just guessing right now. And what I'm going to look at is after people return to the office, are they coming more frequently than they estimated? And if they are coming more frequently, then I feel like as real estate professionals, we've done our job to make the environment more compelling than they even envisioned it would be so that they can do their best work in the office, not just at home. Long answer, lots of parts. Yes. (laughs) Lots of parts that I may have questions to send out. Uh, You've got me really curious on what your initiative actually are to make the office a compelling option for the employees to come to? So a lot of it is, you know, making sure things are just frictionless. It's, it is a pain point for people who have come to an assigned desk, but now they have to come in and they have to book a desk. We've done as much front end explaining as we can that that if we gave you the assigned desk going forward and only 20% of the people are on the site, then it's going to feel super empty, not energetic. And you're going to be like, why did I even bother to show up and not do that? So part of it is actually through the unassigned model, getting more density still 
in every geo trying to have some social distancing, except for China for us is about to go to phase four. Um, and so that would be our post-pandemic things are back to normal. So just announced today. So TBD, we have not figured out how we're going to execute that yet. But, you know, within a social distance, creating this environment where people are seeing other people, they're having collisions, like virtual collisions, obviously, not in-person collisions, but at the break room, they run into someone, they, you know, share an idea, and then they go off and they innovate, or they're able to go to a whiteboard and in person have that conversation. So that's part of it, just increasing the density, making sure that when people come in, it doesn't take them long to set up, get going, right? So that's not, I'm not going to come to the office because it's such a big deal, right? And giving them the tools to do that, like lockers and good technology setups. And then, you know, also incorporating ways to surprise and delight them, right? So when you come back to the office, we're having a welcome. We're trying to think of our snack program differently. We'll continue to have, you know, sort of the free snacks that as a technology company is kind of the standard in, you know, good coffee, <laughs> lots of caffeine, but trying to think of ways to surprise and delight with other snacks, like, you know, randomly walking around and passing out ice cream on a Wednesday afternoon or, you know, on a Thursday morning having bagels for a dollar or trying to look at ways that reward people for coming in the office in a way they get something different than they don't get at home. Because we don't want that experience to be different in a meeting, even though I think digital equity is nice to aspire to, very hard to execute on. But I mean, we wouldn't want to punish people by saying, you only get a great AV experience if you're in the office. Otherwise, good luck. <laughs> but really having other reasons and random reasons so that everyone doesn't come on a Wednesday afternoon like they have in Raleigh, which was our, sna our historical snack Wednesday, but that different days of the week people are rewarded for coming because the other challenge is to make sure that the capacity is as, uh, demand is as flatlined as possible. Yeah. So you're not just building for Wednesday afternoon demand, right? But that you're, um, you know, having people use the buildings on Mondays and Fridays as well. Yeah, that's an important aspect. Just recently I had a conversation with someone, oh, it was actually someone from Google who's like, okay, we're told now we can stay at home Monday, Friday. We can come into the office Tuesday, Thursday. And I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. I mean, you're going to have... Yeah, that seems like a very curious exactly. decision. Yes, I saw that announcement and I was like, huh. Somebody didn't consult with the real estate team when they made that proclamation. Well, yeah, or they really don't care about the efficiency, yeah. But they don't care, right. Exactly, which is another another um, reasonable assumption yeah, to make. exactly. And then I, I actually think it's a really interesting program we're putting together with the events or snack happenings, or let's say general happenings. Mm -hmm. And I think it might be an option actually to loop employees into that as well. I'm not sure if it works at a bigger organization. I mean, we're a startup. And one of our colleagues, when we were allowed to go to the office again, he was like, okay, I'm going to do a coffee workshop on um, Wednesday lunchtime. Whoever is around, I'm going to show you a couple of things. So that's like fun options as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the, and all the reasons that, you know, we have one of our sites has a Toastmasters where people can learn to speak and one of our has a Spanish lunch group or, you know, all of those reasons that people were coming into the for different affinity groups, you know, we'll have an event. You know, that was actually in our surveys. One of the biggest reasons people come back to the office is to collaborate, but for events. Events rated much more highly than coming to the office for personal work, like individual focus work. 
really communal things. Also looking at ways to, um, you know, welcome new employees Mm -hmm. because, you know, the cultural aspects of being back in the office are pretty strong and the ability to onboard new team members and help them get up to speed faster. Definitely. Mostly the experience side that that you're missing. I mean, the regular meeting, sometimes it's actually better to be online than to do it on site. Well, it's a lot easier to cram more in our days, isn't it? Because I don't actually have to stand up and go walk to the next room. I could just continue to sit here and watch my my spine compress. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes it is difficult to get like a natural break in and uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. get a coffee or get out the coffee out of the system. Exactly. There's two, two parts of that for sure. Lovely. And then the other thing I wanted to pick up on was you mentioned density. And just also very recently, I heard someone saying, okay, we're not going to look at density of offices anymore. We're going to look at intensity. And I thought, oh my God, the industry's losing it by now. (laughs) I love the word. Yes. Just like I like to not call them unassigned spaces, they're dynamic flex seating. That sounds so much better. Yeah. Well, I actually wanted to tap into was Now for the new workplace environments, the offerings you're putting there, um, what are the success metrics that you're going to look at? So what's going to tell you that users are picking up on it and that they like what is offered? I think the biggest one is going to compare their intended behavior, how frequently they said they'd attend on our surveys when it was an abstract concept and how often they come into the office when they have real choice. And they're actually modeling their behavior. And I think that'll be a ramp up because however they think they're going to behave, like in a large percent of our our employees say they wanted to stay remote. And then even the ones that were hybrid were heavily weighted on one to two days a week, for example. What I'm hopeful is that they'll start out with that and they'll schedule their one or two days a week. And then they'll realize that they missed that lunch that their colleagues went on or they didn't weren't part of that brainstorming ad hoc session that just happened on the fly or that their team isn't ramping up as quickly with their new staff as another team because they're missing that in-person connection. And so I think what we'll do is we'll be trending over time. What are you know the badging statistics for how many people come on campus? What resources are they using and um, what kinds of seats are they using, that kind of stuff to figure out, um, is is it compelling enough for people to come more frequently than they initially thought? Yeah. Because we can't really me- measure it against what they did before, because before they had less choice and flexibility on a hybrid kind of scale. And we even defined hybrid in a different way before, right? Hybrid was, you know, I'm going to take one day a week off. I'm going to work from home on Fridays, right? That's what it looked like before. It was a much more um, limited scope of choices. And so when there's more choice, you have to be more compelling to be one of the choices. Yeah. How flexible is your workplace then actually when you have the findings to accommodate them and to change? So in the short term, the dials we can use to change the work environment is, um, you know, the number of seats that we have available. Um, And there's, ironically, as we open, we're not opening at 100% capacity in our conference room. So people are coming to use a resource that is smaller, right? Few, you know, just scaled down. And so we're trying to look at ways to use, like, if there's a floor that isn't open, because we don't need to open our entire campus with this sort of reduced expected demand. We'll see how that goes over time. But 
you know, if there's a floor that's not open, we're going to take some areas of that and put mobile whiteboards and some, you know, TVs so that people can have stand-up meetings, larger groups, creating different kinds of collaboration space. Because short-term, our focus is getting people in, getting them functioning and making it compelling, not changing our real estate and our built environment until we understand what that user behavior is. Um, Because we want to make sure that we're not building a lot, you know, really large meeting areas for people to have on-site meetings because we think they're only going to come on-site to meet. And in fact, over time, they settle into maybe pre-pandemic behaviors where they mostly come on-site, do their job, and maybe go to one or two meetings, right? So we'll have the data to, before we're investing the capital in changing the work environment, we'd like the data to be able to make sure we're building the right kinds of spaces. Now, in that shift to fully Sorry, I'm, I'm still saying unassigned. It was dynamic, flexible, flex seating, right? <laughs> I think you could just flex seating. seating. Yes. Good. yes. Unassigned is like an un. Un is a bad thing yeah. if you're taking something away. True. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's dynamic, flexible. Flex. Flex, definitely. <laughs> uh, by the end of the, of the episode, I'm going to get it right. So, well, we usually just call it flex seating. That's short. I just threw in dynamic. Like we don't, we're not usually that pretentious. It just is. <laughs> it just is fun. It's more fun. I sprinkle it in occasionally just for a little pizzazz. Okay, so for that change now, what's the biggest challenges you have been facing? So it hasn't been hard to get leaders on board with the theory of why we are doing it. We show them the date. I mean, we're very data-driven. We show them the data. Here's how often your team says they're going to come to the office. Here's what it would be like if we gave everyone their assigned seats and nobody showed up. So they theoretically get on board. We are also talking about it in terms of a phase three pilot. We're going to test new ways of working to see what works. We haven't committed long-term. And I think that also helps people figure like, okay, I'm going to go and give it a try and then we'll get feedback and then we'll decide if this is the the permanent way we're going to reconfigure our offices. So we haven't committed to that yet. The biggest challenge is mostly engineers and tech support who are tied to technology at their desks and trying to help them re-envision how they might work, right? So, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I need to be able to to tie into that desktop below my computer. And I'm like, below my desk, I'm like, great. Well, what have you been doing for the last year? (laughs) Right. You haven't been doing that, have you? No, you haven't. So trying to figure out ways to accommodate, you know, to unwind perceived needs from actual needs. And I think that's been the biggest challenge and to help people embrace what they're getting, which is choice and control over where they sit, when they come to the office, what types of work they're doing in the office and aim people towards that positive versus what they're losing, right? I knew every day I came in, it was set up exactly the same. I didn't have to bring my keyboard or mouse or have a locker on site to store stuff. I just, it was just that way. I could have my bobbleheads lined on the front of my desk, all my awards and my family photo on the desk, right? That is what I'm giving up. What I'm getting is the ability to spend more time with my family or go to that baseball game because I have more choice over when I work or to sit if I'm working on a project team, not that team happens to be on three different floors in the building, but we can find a space together and for the next week, book seats together and knock that out. And a lot of that, I don't think people are going to embrace until they live it, right? They only know what they've been done. They don't know what that future state is. And then obviously just trying to accommodate where we do have specific setups that are required. 
creating a space for that so that so that's not a bookable resource. It's a static resource that that team can, you know, if they're like tech support might have a customer setup that they have so that every time that customer calls up, they can go ahead and, you know, mirror their system. Well, we're not going to move that, right? So, and then again, that's part of teasing. What do you really need to have? And what do you think you need to have just because you've had it in the past? Yeah. So a lot of the risk mitigation circles around communication. Yes. Yeah. How did you go about that? Was it you personally talking to people or did you have a communication strategy? It was personally, um, yes, personally, I, um, for the sites, the largest sites that are, I have the large America sites and they're the ones that are going first. And then my colleagues and EMEA and APJ for their sites, we identified who managed the largest teams and we had meetings with all of them. So personally, I had like almost 70 meetings with you know, for, say from three to 10 people, not just like within engineering, but within different groups within engineering, because they have different needs, for example, not just support, but customer support and tech support and sales support. And, you know, so when you get to, you know, in marketing, there's different kinds of marketing, that kind of thing. So yeah, it was a lot at the front end, but very similar. Here's the data. Here's what we're envisioning. We're going to pilot this. Do you have any concerns? You know, identifying those technical issues up front so we could, you know, tackle them head on, make sure our technology plan for the workstations could accommodate that. We identified anybody who needed special considerations. So we did do a lot of front end communication with the business. And then with the employees, you know, it's a, depending on the number of employees at the site, you know, it's a very frequent, like biweekly communications, surveys, feeding back survey results, doing on-site trainings, you know, helping people understand what's in it for them, lots of opportunities to ask questions. So it has been, yes, the communications this morning alone, I queued up and sent, well, in the last two days, um, like over 15 emails to different sites, because we also send manager pre-com, like, here's what to expect for your employees and the questions they might have. And then we send the employee communications. Um, so all the stakeholders feel like they're invested to the appropriate degree of getting the information they need to, to be effective. So part of that task force and the communications was that as well the HR and IT teams or was it you running the show? So it definitely takes a village to get all of this stuff done. So, for example, in, the, in developing the Q&A um, FAQs for the sites for managers and email and general employees, we had, you know, communication set up a Slido where we could have the questions come in. We had questions from these one-on-one -on -one meetings, which I scheduled, but often it was the real estate manager partner. Um, the HR business partner was invited to those meetings, the chief of staff, if there was somebody who was responsible for that particular team. And then we pulled those questions in and questions we had received in Slack, Teams. We have so many ways to communicate, as, uh, as so many of you do. And then we developed sort of a draft, but that was in conjunction with not just HR, IT, um, and real estate, but legal, our employee experience groups, our, you know, all the groups that are focused on not just what's happening now, but what our future state is so that we can make sure that the information, because a lot of the questions weren't about what happens during the pandemic, but, you know, what, what are my choices long-term? Yeah. Because people are now that the economy has loosened up a little bit, making a decision about should they look, should they stay or should they go? And so part of the decision for employees now, of where should they stay or they go is what is your long-term stance as a company on the return of how often I have to come to the office and how much flexibility and choice and control I have over my own destiny. 
Yeah, I'm really curious how that, uh, if there's going to be the great migration of employees from companies who have like a non-flexible or less flexible model to those who are offering that flexibility. That will be really interesting to monitor, actually. I think some people are drawn to the, the certainty of knowing we expect you to be in the office five days a week. We're not a flexible culture, right? So there are people, because I've had some friends leading companies that have doubled down on that. And they are going to lose some people, but they will also attract people who are not interested in this willy-nilly. They're not interested in managing a team which may or may not be there. So I think I think it'll go both ways, but there will be in an X migration for all of us, I think, as people are looking for that right fit for their and, and it could change over time because what's the right fit for you now? In five years, if you started a family or if you your kids left the house or you're sort of in a different phase of life, could vary considerably what works best for you. Now, looking at all of this, who do you consult with and trust for advice inside and outside of the organization? Well, as a group, so we have a return to office global leadership task force. So it's great. I mean, it's led by our chief people officer and our general counsel. Oh, and I also neglected to mention so our, our um, global security and risk services team. So they've also obviously been a critical component in developing FAQs and the standards and all of that. But a lot of what we decide collectively is within that group, someone will hear a best practice or have an idea, propose something, and then collectively we'll review it and say, does this work for our culture or not? And so there's definitely a lot of collaboration internal. Um, we have never, ever seen since I always try to look at the bright side of the pandemic because there's so many downsides. Um, but one of the bright side is just the impetus for internal collaboration between departments that has never, you know, it's just on steroids, right? There was some before and there was things like I mentioned that Workplace Design Strategy Council I developed where you artificially created something and hope people came and were, you know, committed but there was a requirement to collaborate um, when we first had to go to home. And now that we're returning, that really encourages. And I hope that those partnerships that we formed are long lasting. And then a lot of what we look at is what are best practices of other companies? What are news sources from, you know, Fortune and Wall Street Journal to, you know, our partners like the JLL conference that you saw me on to a lot of virtual webinars. It's been so easy to attend virtual webinars and so easy to put them on your schedule and just keep plowing through them because, you know, the recording is available and then you never get to the recording because you're still plowing through the next list of what you need to do. So um, I would say I've solicited and received a lot more good feedback than I've had the ability to consume. But, you know, it is both internal and external. And I think everybody's doing the same way. Also, um, through Cornet, doing a lot of within the programs within that, but also within our chapter, um, we have done best practice groups where, like I have one that is just talking about return to office. And then we have a splinter group of people who are just going from assigned to unassigned because that has like a whole, all sorts of other nuances. And so we meet every three weeks to share like, what are your struggles? What ideas have you had? And to improve our own practices through, you know, learning from each other. That's really cool that you're tapping into that community knowledge and learn from each other so that not everyone needs to go through the motion of every single problem you could encounter. Yes, absolutely. And people think through things that you hadn't thought of, right? So your solution is just yeah. going to be better if you pull your peers, you know, the media and internally to see what people think needs to be solved and what are the nuances of that, especially in something where 
nobody has it defined, right? Nobody can wrap their arms around something that's so amorphous of what is this thing that none of us have experienced look like? Yeah. And then looking out into the future, if you could magically solve any workplace problem, what would it be? I would, if I had a magic wand, it would be that we could have space flex and morph very easily. And so there's ways to accomplish that by having, you know, ability, you know, and some of the limitations for that is obviously you're buying furniture, but like being able to plug into power and data. And you can solve that very expensively by building in systems where it's, you know, you can plug into the floor anywhere, or that's not as aesthetically pleasing where there's like power and data coming from the ceiling where you can plug in and move stuff around. So it would be great to have a system that was, that enabled you really to just move stuff around in a more fluid way that, you know, so as we get more and more wireless, I think that's coming. Yeah. And so power and data will not be something that will be, need to be tethered to place to provide. And so I think that's one of the problems that I would solve because you can only adjust to a change in use as quickly as you can now invest a lot of money in ripping out what was and building what's needed. Yeah. Have you invested then in technology for return to work already? Or are you similar to space waiting for the results of data to come in? What we've invested in is the is the need to have for like our own, like the booking desk booking app. That's a need to have. So we've invested time and energy, obviously, on internal development of that. And then technology at the desk to just enable. But those are the primary places that our investment has gone. I think the degree to which we need to change our workstations and the technology that supports that is still a TBD. And a lot of those are big investments. So we're moving to Teams. Overhauling one room to make it a Teams room from our old AV setup is not very expensive. But if you multiply that by the number of conference rooms we have in a portfolio as large as ours, then it's, you know, you could choke on that, right? Yes. You, you can't bite that off in one year. And so figuring out how to prioritize and pace that is definitely a challenge. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something that when the media is discussing the future of work, it's oftentimes overlooked that companies are not going to pull the switch and then there's the new work environment. But with these huge portfolios, you need to have that phased approach of saying, hey, we're going to start here, pilot there, and then go along, ideally with some learnings already from where you started. Well, and it really helps also if you can, um, as you evolve too, and you do things like open part of a campus like we are, you can realize, okay, maybe we have four buildings on our headquarter and maybe we only need three going forward. Well, that's an opportunity to reduce your portfolio, to reduce costs and redeploy that money to improving the space that you retain. Because it's easy to say, I'm going to fund this by saving this, yeah. right? And so I think that's where we're also waiting for the data of user behavior to see how much space do we need so that we can make some decisions about, at, and then again, that's a time thing. When do the leases roll? Um, when is there a sales opportunity? Um, we lease most of our portfolio, so it's mostly when leases roll. That's when you have the chain, the opportunity to free up yeah. that investment and redeploy it. Yeah. I think it's a very classical corporate real estate approach to fund new amenities and stuff with the savings you generated on yeah on the space side of things yeah although it's interesting i saw a survey yesterday which i think isn't public yet so i won't disclose the the source but the degree to which companies are investing additional money outside of their historic it's almost 100% of companies are having to find 
additional funding for technology, physical infrastructure, and, you know, the amenity kind of experience that we were talking about earlier with the surprise and delight ahead of being able to fund that because you can't lip the needs are immediate yeah, and you can't release the funding immediately. So I think it is very typical that companies are having to, you know, reach into their pockets and find new sources to fund some of these more high priority and time sensitive initiatives. Yeah, the the priorities have shifted through the pandemic and the awareness around that topic of experience as well. Which is also, I think, a plus of of COVID, right? Yeah. Because you can get the attention of executives on health and safety, on sustainability, on employee experience, on um, you know the the amenities, things that before could be brushed to the side, like that's not that important. And then now they're table stakes, right? And yeah. so I think that it, it, our ability as real estate professionals to improve the experience of employees and to really have you know, an optimal working environment where it really adds value in a way it never has before is also a green field and something that we'll be able to take advantage of post-pandemic, right? Because there's been a catalyst for requiring change. And so even the thing, the move to unassigned has been something we've been trickling through our portfolio over time. But you know, an event like this enables us to make big moves because the will and the understanding and the commitment are aligned in a way it's hard to do in a in an aggregate way without some sort of event to stimulate that. Yeah, very much. Now, I have a last question. So okay. you can brace yourself for the end as well. <laughs> and it's a, a, theoretically, it could be an easy one. Who else should I have on the podcast? And is there a question you would like to ask them? I just love hearing what other real estate practitioners are doing. And then also, it's great to hear just future vision, like how will people work in the future and in what choices will be will they make and what technology will they use? All of those things. But, you know, it's great when you can get someone who can, you know, an Elon Musk who thinks a decade into the future, right? So we know what we're pointing at. Someone who talks about the fact that, you know, they expect it to be all driverless cars, for example. So maybe we don't need to build our parking decks the way we did, or how would we repurpose those? Or, you know, a big, bold move towards more open space and having, you know, like, how do you really transform your portfolio that way? So I haven't been to enough of those lately because I've been so focused on. So like the who is a good question. But I think as a lot of us are digging out of just the logistical malaise of like trying to execute everything we've had to do to get people home, to make spaces safe and to bring them back. We need to start looking ahead. We need to start looking five, 10 years in the future. So as we have this opportunity to rebuild our portfolio, we're not just doing it for what works now, but we're future-proofing as much as possible. Coming out of the reactive state. Exactly. Yeah. Let's be proactive. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be fun. And I have to say, Elon Musk, it's now the second time that he's been suggested. I'm not sure we're <laughs> high profile enough for him, but I'll do my best. If only you were Saturday Night Live, you could totally get Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a couple more years and we'll see. There you go. There you go. So thank you very much, Jenna. This is really, really interesting. I think that's a really great example of building a data model around user behavior and using really using that to build the workplace of the future. So I enjoyed it very much. Thank you for having me, Sabine, and wish us luck. 
Thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Workplace Leader, there is more. Go visit our blog and have a look at some of the other topics we have covered. We have just released a study on corporate real estate in the US that you can download there. Or tune into our next episode of The Workplace Leader. <laughs>